Over the last five weeks, we've been starting our essential series, looking at the foundation of our faith. In the last five weeks, we've been kind of looking at some overarching themes of the Bible as a whole and looking at some specific passages. Now, in the next three or four weeks ahead, we're going to be looking at some specific topics that are kind of interesting topics, but at the same time, topics that have a great deal for how we live in our day-to-day living. And so over the next couple of weeks, the messages are going to be more topical in nature. We're going to be looking at different verses and talking about what Scripture teaches as a whole regarding different questions that we have. I'd really encourage you, next Sunday is going to be fabulous, I hope, that next Sunday we're going to be looking at the question, what happens after death? So next week we're going to look for some teaching from the Bible about the afterlife, a lot of confusion about heaven and hell and what happens to us as individuals immediately when we die and how that process works. I'd really encourage you to be here next Sunday. Uh, Everybody has questions about that. We've all thought about it at some point. We want to think about it from a position of the scriptures. And so next week we'll dig into that. Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with the 10th verse. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks for your word. This morning we ask that you would now give us understanding of your word and application of your word for our own lives. We pray, O Lord, that you'd capture our minds with a vision a fresh vision of the life you've called us to. We pray, Lord, that you give us fresh understanding of what's going on in the world. We ask now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. I can't get over how easy life is. Life is just like a fun zone. I mean, basically, if I was going to describe life, I'd describe life as living in a bowl of cookie dough. Who doesn't want to live in a bowl of cookie dough? Cookie dough is so enjoyable. Cookie dough rarely actually even makes it to the oven, right? You just eat the cookie dough. And and that's life. Life is just a big bowl of cookie dough. Life is easy. Haven't you found that to be true? That there's no rough spots? We never make any mistakes. Everything is pretty much blissful. We all know pretty certain that that's not a good description of life. We could all pretty much speak in one way or another and give testimony how that's not true for anyone. Life is not just this simple, easy path. Life is not a bowl of cookie dough. 
Life rather is a battle. We know that life is not simple, but rather there's mistakes, there's hurts, there's pains. So what should be our vision of life? What should be our perspective of what's going to happen? What should be our expectation? The Apostle Paul lays out for us in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning a pretty clear expectation for all of life. And that expectation is that you and I are in a battle. You and I should expect things to go wrong. You and I should expect there to be friction. You and I should expect that at every turn, there's going to be something that could go wrong. And I don't know, you're thinking, oh, stop being a half glass full type person. No, this is reality. The biblical worldview is that we are living in a world right now where we can really only expect one thing. That's battle. We've been promised that we cannot be separated from the love of God. We've been promised eternal hope and eternal joy. But here and now in this world, there's only one guarantee. That guarantee is that we are in a battle. And for most of us today, we agree that yes, we are in a battle. We're in a battle against our culture. Our culture is just going crazy, making bad decisions and doing weird stuff. We're in battle against the other political party. We're in battle against our children who just make bad decisions. And some of that may be true. The Bible speaks that we're actually in battle against three things. And we're going to talk about one of them today. The Bible teaches us that we're first in battle against our flesh. We looked a couple of weeks ago at how all of us, at one point or another, are under the power and the guilt of sin. We're constantly battling our flesh because our flesh is sinful. We're also constantly battling the world, which means we're battling the thoughts and the ways of the world because the ways of the world are not God's ways. We're battling our flesh, we're battling the world. But then there's also this third thing we're battling that most of us like to kind of keep in the back closet. Satan, the evil one. Most of us, when we hear Satan, we hear the devil, we get pictures in our mind of maybe what's been in movies before, someone running around with a couple of horns, maybe a big staff throwing fire on different things. But when most of us think Satan and devil, most of us just either ignore or most of us say, well, that's more of a description of this idea that there's bad in the world. This morning, we're going to look at Satan, the reality of the devil. And you might be saying, well, how is this an essential to our faith? How is Satan and the devil an essential to our faith? A couple of things. First is this. If Satan and the devil are not real, basically, Jesus is a comedian. If Satan and the devil are not real, Jesus is a comedian. Think, for example, the story we read this morning from Mark chapter 5. What's the central point of the story? That Jesus frees this person from a ton of demons. If there is no such thing as Satan and demons, basically what we have is Jesus getting his followers together saying, hey, we need to make up a really good story that makes me look powerful and I'm fighting wrongdoing. So let's make up something about demons and Satan. So in other words, Jesus is a liar. If Satan is not real, Jesus is basically a joke. 
Because if we look at the ministry of Jesus time and time again, what is it that Jesus is battling against? What is it that the Gospels are telling us? That Jesus freed someone from a demonic spirit. We see Jesus talk multiple times how he's come to free the captives and how he stands against the prince of this world, the ruler of this world, the devil. If we're going to take Jesus seriously, we have to take the devil and Satan seriously. You see, if we don't take Satan and the devil seriously, there's no way we can really say we're serious about Jesus. It would kind of like me getting up in front of you this morning and say, hey, you know what? I am a serious person about vegetables. I can tell you everything you need to know about vegetables. I can tell you how each vegetable tastes, their texture. I could tell you this morning, I'm serious about vegetables. But then if you found out that Last night, I left three things of asparagus on my plate intentionally. You'd say, you're not serious about vegetables. Because what? If you're serious about vegetables, you eat the vegetables. If you're serious about Jesus, you have to be serious about the things he's serious about. And he's serious about Satan. That's his prime ministry that we see on earth, is that he's fighting demons. He's fighting Satan. So how should we think about Satan? How should we think about demons? The first thing is this. We've got to put Satan and demons in their proper place. Because most of the time, we make a mistake like this. Oh, Satan's everywhere. It's all Satan. It's all the devil. And next thing you know, you're buying books from the bookstore, trying to read about the demonic world and about spiritual activity. What you've done there is you've raised Satan to a place he doesn't deserve. You're basically raising Satan and now all of a sudden you're obsessed with Satan. Well, that's a perfect thing for him. You're obsessed with him. So we put him out of place a little bit. We raise him up as an opposite of God. Satan is not an opposite of God. Satan is a created being. God created Satan. Satan is not the opposite of God. It's not as though we're living in this world where Satan is battling Jesus and it's in question who's going to win. The Bible teaches us that Satan, a fallen angel, Satan is a fallen created being. Whoa, excuse me, getting a little excited. Thing. Thing. That happens once in a while. Thing. Satan is a created being. Satan is not the opposite of God. We cannot raise and elevate Satan to this position that he doesn't deserve. Should we give Satan attention? Yes. But Satan should not receive our all on focus. It's not like every day we wake up and say, okay, what can I do about Satan today? That's an obsession. We should not be obsessed with Satan. He doesn't deserve it. And not only that, Satan is not the one who deserves the blame. Let me say that again. Satan is not the one who deserves the blame. You and I love the blame game. Ever since we were kids, right? What's one of the first lines that we always gave mom and dad? He did it first. Uh, well, he was staying up beyond curfew. Why can't I? We point the finger the other way. One of the things we'd love to do is, well, Satan made me do it. There's nowhere in the Bible where we're actually given permission to blame Satan for our individual behavior. Is Satan tempting us? Yes. But it's this weird paradox where the Bible still holds us responsible for how we respond to the work of Satan. We cannot enter into the blame game. We need to be aware of Satan. 
But we can't blame Satan for our individual behavior, for our mistakes. God ultimately holds us responsible. We cannot blame Satan. So then, if Satan's not the opposite of God, if Satan is a created being, if Satan, we can't blame him for anything, why doesn't God just crush him? Why, not, why doesn't God just get rid of Satan? Why not just say, hey, no more. You're done. Well, now you're thinking I'm going to take the easy way out. I am going to take the easy way out. I have no idea. We don't know. And anyone that says they do know is not coming from the revelation of Scripture. They're coming to a position built off of stories or logic or speculation. The Bible does not tell us why God created this person, this being. God does, the Bible does not tell us why God does not simply just crush Satan. We don't know. All we know is what's been revealed in Scripture. And so that's all we can speak about. There's some mystery in all of this. At the end of the day, what we know about Satan is that he's already defeated and will be cast into hell forever. But there's still a lot of whys, and we just don't know the answers. So this morning, we recognize that we are in a battle. And so this morning's non-negotiable for the Essential Series is that we are in a constant battle with Satan who seeks to thwart the work of Jesus. We are in a constant battle with Satan who seeks to thwart the work of Jesus. So when we talk about Satan, there's a bunch of different things that we should keep in mind that the Bible tells us about Satan. The first thing, if you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 44. John chapter 8, verse 44. We see Jesus here tell us about the evil one, about the devil, about Satan. John chapter 8, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The first thing we know about Satan, the first thing we see Jesus teach us about Satan is that Satan is a liar and that Satan's mission is to cause you to stumble because of his falsehoods that he promotes. Think about it this way, for example. Go back to your old Sunday school days for a moment. Think back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Eve interacts with Satan. What's the first thing that Satan does? Twists the truth just a little bit. Well, God didn't really say all the trees, did he? You're not going to die if you eat this fruit. What does Satan do? Just twists it a little bit. The very first thing he does, he tries to deceive Eve and Adam. Satan, that's who he is. That's, that's, he can't help but lie that Jesus says here that there's nothing but lies that flow from him. Why? Because he's a liar. And so you and I today are battling Satan, and this is how Satan works against us. He twists the truth just a little bit. You know, and this makes sense. He's not going to twist the truth 180 degrees, right? Satan's not going to prompt me to get up here this morning and say, hey, Jesus never rose from the dead. Jesus actually was never crucified. You get, right? Most church people are going to respond by that and say, get rid of him. 
That's, that's not true. Because what? That's obvious. It's obvious. So what Satan's going to do is he's just going to enter in a little bit and he's just going to twist it just a little bit. Jesus was crucified on the cross, but, but not for your wrongdoing. He was crucified for political reasons. He was crucified because at that time, the Romans wanted to, to squelch a Jewish uprising. It had nothing to do with your sin, and his death does nothing for you. So, so Satan keeps the truth out there that yes, Jesus died, but he just twists it a little bit, just moves it a little bit. Think about this for a second. Think of our current battle over the concept of marriage. And some of you are saying, oh, why do we always have to hear about this? Well, open up the paper. It's everywhere. Turn on the news media. It's everywhere. What is happening with the current battle of marriage? Satan's not just getting a hold of it and saying, hey, no one should get married. Marriage is horrible. They're twisting the truth just a little bit. They're saying, we should have two people come together in love and care for one another whenever they want. As long as two people are caring for one another and trusting one another, they should be able to come together in marriage. You see what Satan's done? Satan's taken the truth of marriage, two people coming together, a man and woman, and loving and caring for one another. All Satan does is he removes the gender a little bit and just twists things a little bit. And now it's like, well, yeah, how, how can we not do that? That makes a lot of sense, actually. Who am I? Who am I to interfere when two people simply want to care for one another? He's just twisted it a little bit. That's what Satan does. He comes in, he promotes lies. How about with you personally today? Everybody in this room has done something wrong in your life. What Satan does is he comes in now and he says, Remember what you did wrong? Now you're unworthy. Satan comes in and he says, You should never really be a small group Bible study leader. You, you don't know the Bible well enough. Because remember that one time you couldn't think of, of something to say in response to someone? He, he just gets that little foothold, and so now he, he elevates that. He deceives you into thinking, oh, I don't know the Bible at all. How could I lead another group of people into talking about the Bible? Satan's going to take just that little bit of doubt, and he's going to exploit it. He's going to take a little bit of mistruth in your life, and he's just going to keep on cranking and turning it. And that's why you and I, the first thing we have to do when fighting Satan is we have to be aware of the lies. How do you know if someone is lying? The only way you know is if you know the truth, right? So for example, one time we were growing up and we were young, there was a big snow pile that was outside of our house. That we, we lived next to a church parking lot and they always packed the snow on the, right next to the house. So we'd go out in the snow pile in the winter and play. And, and one time my brother and sister were out on the snow pile and there was a big lead pipe, a big pipe that was on the snow pile. My brother and sister were playing. My brother takes the pipe and hits my sister with the pipe. Well, they come in. My sister's crying, of course, and... And they're trying to explain to dad what happened, and, and dad is, and Ryan is, my brother is trying to say, oh, no, no, no. What happened was they fell, accidentally pushed down the hill. Well, little did my brother know, my dad was watching out the kitchen window. So he knows my brother is lying. Why? Because he saw the real event. If we have lunch tomorrow, and you order me a diet Mountain Dew, I'm going to know it's diet. Why? 
because I know the purity of the great stuff. And when you know the purity of the great stuff, what happens? You can tell right away when there's something different, right? You ever been sitting at home around the meal and grandma's not cooking today, but mom is cooking? The potatoes are made just a little bit different. And what does everyone say? Well, what? Did you use something different? Is that unsalted butter? I mean, how can you possibly tell? But how can you tell? Because you know grandma's potatoes. When you know the purity, when you know the truth, you can spot the lie. So the first thing we need to do in fighting Satan is to know the truth, know the purity of the gospel, because then we know when the lies come. We can, we can discern when Satan is seeking to twist things just a little bit. Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. This is the primary method, mode, mission of the devil. He's seeking to deceive and cause us to stumble. The question is, do we know the purity of Scripture enough to fight against him? Satan is a liar. But we also see that Satan has a variety of control in the physical world. Look with me, if you would, at Mark chapter 5. That's the verses that we looked at earlier today. Mark chapter 5. Satan intervenes in the physical world. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We read this story earlier. What we see here is that we've got this man with an unclean spirit. Well, let's look down at verse 14. It says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see, see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So the townspeople come out and they see this man. They see him. And by seeing him, they know that he's been freed of this demonic spirit. Why? Because there was visual proof before that Satan was active through his demons in this man's life. He was chained. There was physical behavior that was happening because of Satan. Satan interacts in the physical world. Now, for most of us, this is just... Now, I'm pastor, you're way outside the realm of comfortable. We're not one of those churches. Satan interacts in the physical world. There's no way around it. We see it in the ministry time and time again of Jesus. People recognize that this man's been freed. Why do you think the whole town says to Jesus, Jesus, please leave. That's what they say to Jesus. Jesus, please leave. Why? Because Jesus sends the demon spirits into a herd of pigs. Something physical happened. These demons were involved in physical activity. So Jesus says, yeah, go into the pigs. What happens next? The pigs disappear into water. Now what's going on? The whole community's like, "Uh, Jesus, that was our economy. That would be like Jesus coming to Sioux Falls and saying, hey, you know what? Sorry, we're going to shut down the banking industry. What would happen? The economy in Sioux Falls would collapse. Jesus, in this local community, has collapsed the economy. He sent 2,000 pigs away. 
Satan is involved in the physical world, and it's this mystery. It's a mysterious event. Don't know how, don't know where exactly, but Satan can be active in the physical realm. I've used this illustration before, but it it shows the point. Whenever you talk to someone from another country, especially a, a tribal area, Africa or around the world, you talk to a missionary, and they always share the same example, the same story, that when they're on the mission field and they run into someone who is sick, the issue is not find a doctor, but the issue is find someone who knows the spirit world. Because something's wrong in the spirit world and it's causing physical ailment. Now, you're sitting there going, I mean, come on. Those people just need a little more education. If they had been through all the education we'd be, they would not be asking for somebody in the spirit world. They'd be asking for a doctor. They pray to the spirit world because the spirit world intervenes in the physical realm. And this is reality in Scripture. We see it in the ministry of Jesus over and over again. And if we deny it, we're denying the person of Jesus Christ. Do I know how Satan is active today in the physical realm? No, I don't know how. But we do know that he can be active in the physical realm. So, something happens to you physically? Is it from Satan? I don't know. It could be, but it Might not be, too. We just need to know that Satan can be active in the physical realm. Satan is a liar. Satan is active in the physical realm. Satan is basically a dog on a leash because Satan has been defeated. And Satan knows he's been defeated. Who's the worst team to play in athletics? The team that has nothing to lose. Right? They're playing loose. There's no pressure at all. No one wants to play that team when you come to the end of the year because they've got nothing on the line. They're playing loose. No pressure. What happens? That team with no pressure, they're already, they, they know their season's pretty much done. So all they're praying, playing for is to disrupt what? The other team that comes to play them. They're the most dangerous team. The defeated enemy is the most dangerous enemy. Why? Because they're willing to do anything. Think about the war that we're fighting right now around the world. Who's the most dangerous enemy? Not the enemy that wants to live, but the enemy that knows they're already defeated and they want to die so they can get their reward. You can't defend against that. You can't defend against a suicide bomber. They're defeated And they know that they just want to finish the defeat so then they get their reward. The most dangerous enemy is the enemy that's already been defeated. They've got nothing to lose. Satan's got nothing to lose. He's already been defeated, so he's going to try anything and everything. You and I today are in a battle. I don't know exactly what your battle is. Your battle might be alcohol. Your your battle may be lying. Your battle may be in your marriage. Your battle may be in your workplace. I don't know what your battle is. Your battle may be a physical ailment. We are in a battle. And Satan is active in that battle. So the question is, how do we fight against him? And that brings us to our practical application today. Our practical application is two things. If we're going to fight against Satan, the first thing we must do is this. Pray for awareness and against the work of the evil one. 
Simple. This is pretty simple. Again, simply, God, make me aware of where Satan is active in my life. Just, God, make me aware. And then praying against Satan. And sometimes we think, like, oh boy, that's not me. I'm not one of those prayer types that gets crazy on their knees and stuff like that. This is not rocket science. Praying against Satan is simply praying, God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would defeat Satan today. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would make our brothers and sisters around the world aware of the work that Satan is doing. Lord, I pray today that you would hinder Satan from stopping the advancement of the gospel. If you want to know how to pray against Satan, I'd really encourage you, just look at the prayers in the New Testament, like Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3. Why not just pray the prayers that are in the New Testament? Why not pray the prayers that God has inspired? You don't have to be some crazy, weird person that nobody wants to be around to pray against Satan. All followers of Jesus should be praying against Satan. Very practical that you and I daily, weekly, would be praying, God, make me aware of how Satan is active in my life today. Make me aware of the lies that I'm believing. God, make me aware of the lies. The second practical application today is along with that then, recognize the lies that he is speaking to you. Recognize the lies that Satan is speaking to you. And I'd really encourage you to do this. Go and examine the one area in your life right now that's causing a lot of trouble. What in your life right now is bringing about some depression? What in your life right now is causing you to do things you don't want to do? And really examine what are you believing about that situation and see if you're believing a lie or if you're believing truth from God's Word. Recognize the lies. So really examine. If you're going through something right now in life, what's causing you to do it? You've got to think hard of what's underneath the surface. Are you believing that you're a victim? That's, that's Satan right there. That if you believe yourself a victim right now, that, man, I just everything's happening to me and I don't deserve any of this. That's Satan. That's Satan. He's giving you a victim spirit so you can kind of be focused on yourself and thinking, oh, me, oh, why me? Satan's causing that. You've got to find that lie that, that Satan is having in your life and the effect that that has in your day-to-day living. We have to deal with the reality of Satan. Because the reality is this. Life is not a bowl of cookie dough. Life is a challenge. Death is going to come at some point, either for yourself or someone in your family. Not only is death going to come, but challenges are going to come in the workplace. Your supervisor is going to treat you unfairly. Challenges are going to come. Suffering and pain. You're in a battle. And in a battle, sometimes you can lose heart. In a battle, sometimes it's easy to say, hey, you know what? There's no point in moving forward. But in Romans chapter 8, we get the good news that yes, we are in a battle, but listen to what God says. He says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. One of the most famous Bible passages there is. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Why is this? Because that love has already been expressed. Jesus Christ has already died for you. If you're wondering if God loves you, you look to the cross. It's already a done deal. You can't separate yourself from the love of God because it's been finished. And you and I today are in a battle, but we're conquerors in the battle because nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. And that love is found at the cross. And so today, life is not a cookie dough bowl, but today life is a battle. We recognize it and we fight it. But we take rest and we take peace knowing that in Christ we are conquerors. We have already defeated the enemy because God loves us and God sent His Son to die on our behalf. Go forth. Fight the battle. But recognize Christ has already won. Let us pray. Almighty God, come before You today and we acknowledge that many times, God, we're afraid of the spirit world We're afraid of talking about Satan and the reality of Satan. God, I ask that you would remove that fear from us today. I also ask, God, that you would make us willing to to fight the spiritual battle. God, I pray this morning for everyone here in this room. I pray, God, that you would bring to their mind um, how they're buying into Satan's lies. God, make me aware of how I'm buying into Satan's lies. Make everyone in this room aware of the lies of Satan. And we also pray, God, that you'd raise our awareness to the activity of Satan in the world. And I pray that you'd move upon our hearts to battle against him. God, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your love. We praise you, God. We give you all of the glory. And we thank you for conquering Satan on our behalf. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.